0: This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, by progress. Hello, and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How's it going, Brian?
1: Great. How are you doing, Ed?
0: Good. Uh, we are back for another Telerik Developer Digest show. Uh, we took a little bit of a break. I don't know how many people noticed any lapse in shows, but uh, I had a little, little issue back at the office where um, we had no air conditioning. So I was in a room with a window air conditioner, which wouldn't have made for a great recording situation. No, that wouldn't. So... Uh, Kind of held off on doing any new recordings uh, for well, the time being, but
1: yeah, we also had a break in the newsletter, so that that worked out.
0: Had a little break in the newsletter. We've been really busy uh, here at the office doing all kinds of uh, work on conferences and travel, and I've been traveling and you've been working on uh, the native, native script.
1: script. Yep.
0: So uh Native Script Dev Days is coming up real fast. Um we yep. talked about it on the show before a little bit, but uh how, how's the uh the organization going for that?
1: Um well, it's basically less than a week away and everything's looking good. I mean, we've got a lot of little things to work out, but you know, that's having done events before, that's not that's kind of normal. There's lots of little logistical stuff in the last week or so. Um, but everything looks good. It should be a good show, and I'm looking forward to it. Lots of good speakers lined up. Oh, yeah, great speakers. It's going to be excellent. So, um, in, you know, if you're in and around the Boston area, still time to, to sign up and go. So don't miss I've out.
0: Been, I've been on the road. I was at uh, Music City Code in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, great conference out there. Then I visited some meetup groups, uh, one of them in Atlanta, Georgia. Lots of nice folks down there as well. And uh, then flew out to Omaha, Nebraska for a big uh, developer conference there. So, been on the road. I uh, did a, a podcast or two while I was on the road. So, we'll, we'll ship some of those in the next coming weeks as well. So let's get to the items at hand. We got uh, some really good articles that came through the newsletter uh, this week. Um, let's see. We've got about... I had to pare the list down. We had so many good ones. I had to select just enough to uh, fill a show. Yeah. That's uh, why I when we, we take a week done, off. Yeah, we probably could have done like two hours worth. So um, we've got... Let's see. Uh, about... About eight articles here that that I wanted to talk about, and uh, we'll start off with um, using chatbots to improve user engagement. Um, this is an article that came out of Progress Labs, and uh, Progress Labs is something new that the company is, is started. It's like kind of like our R and D. Yeah. So uh, we've got you know guys looking at you know new technologies and where those technologies are headed and we've uh, we've seen some good articles coming out of the progress labs yeah um, they just
1: they just started writing um kind of this this two part series kind of launches that whole thing I mean, there was an article explaining what progress labs is about um, but you know this is kind of them launching into some content so they're doing things like chatbots and vr and all kinds of like cutting edge stuff
0: yeah I'm excited to see what comes out of uh, their blog and uh, or their articles that they're blogging about um, and we post on Tdn because uh, there's some really cool tech in there stuff that I've been interested in and not had enough time uh, spare time to put my own hands on uh, and this one was this article in particular was really cool because uh, he was talking about how to use bots and Um, the way it's written, I I could see this type of technique working in, uh, you know, the corporate enterprise, Mm -hmm. uh, because he, he talked about having a warehouse bot and, uh, we're not talking about like a physical, like bot that runs around and like stocks, shelves or something, but like a, a chat bot type of a thing. Right. Um, and this would be really, really helpful for, you know, high tech industry, uh, manufacturing, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting because they, they do specifically have a a business uh, perspective on these technologies. So, so often, you know, especially like even, even myself when I write about these kinds of things, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do some kind of cool little bot that does something interesting for me. Um, and I'm not necessarily looking at it from like, how would I legitimately put this to a business use, right? Um, and that's what they do. So they have the first part kind of covers the use case. And then the second part actually gets into some examples um, using the Microsoft uh, bot framework. So showing how you can actually build some of this stuff with that.
0: Yeah, I used to work in uh, the manufacturing sector uh, as a software developer. So I could definitely see a lot of places where something like this would be handy where you have a bot, and a you know that's tied to your ERP system, and you either make sales or you have product going to the floor, and this thing is alerting you when stock levels are low, or uh, maybe you're you know something that you have on the shelf is about to expire and you need to reorder. I mean, there's a a million different uses for something like this in uh, in those type of industries. So it's a it's a really great read. Yeah, definitely.
1: I highly recommend it.
0: So the next next thing up, we're going to kind of segue f- into Microsoft land. Uh, we talked about Microsoft bots. Uh, now we're going to talk about engineering the future of .NET. So this is an article by uh, Sam Basu. Um, and Sam had an interesting style of writing this article. He, <laughs> he decided to do a mock Q&A with the .NET engineering team at Microsoft.
1: Yeah, yeah uh you know but he does he does end up it is it's clear it is his perspective but he's kind of like if he were answering on behalf of Microsoft takes that perspective you know that kind of point of view
0: yeah at the end of the day i mean the people that he's he's uh pretending to engage with these are very very busy people it'd be extremely difficult to like get them all in a room Uh, and actually do something like this. But what's cool about it is it kind of left the door open for some of those folks to come in and chime in the uh, chat section of the article. And uh, Scott Hanselman did actually drop by and and leave his comments uh, in the comment section regarding some of the questions and how they were answered. Uh, And that gave Sam an opportunity to go back in and update the uh, piece uh, with Scott's uh, actual opinions, so uh, I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, and I think it's great because it really puts a lot of, like, kind of takes a lot of different things that we've talked about in different articles, but puts it all under one plate, like big Q and A, almost you know, like an almost like an FAQ for the future of net. Right.
0: Yeah. So if you're uh, trying to keep up with this information or Maybe you've been trying not to keep up <laughs> with <laughs> all of the changes that have been going on in uh, .NET land, um, and maybe you just want like a one-place catch-all, you know, area to go back and and kind of revisit what all's happened over the last, uh, I guess, about year, year and a half, uh, things that they announced at Build and uh, ASP.NET Core and all of the things that transpired over beta to release with that. Uh, Sam did a good job of uh, kind of answering all those questions. Mm-hmm. So, so that's an excellent uh, read if you're a .NET developer to get in there and, and catch up on some things. So uh, next we, we have an article from uh, Nick Soper uh, from wow. Scott Scott Logic. And on their blog they posted... Uh, hosting.net core on Linux with docker a noobs guide and uh, this this is a good article because people have been talking about using asp.net core um, on, and deploying to Linux and deploying to Mac uh, and you know being able to run everywhere uh, but this this guy actually wrote about the process of making it happen. So, you know, it's fun to talk about, you know, the what ifs, but uh, he actually puts it through the paces and makes it happen.
1: Yeah. And it's it's a pretty detailed walkthrough. So if you wanted to replicate it, it pretty much lists out everything you need to do that yourself. And actually, and on, on, on a side note, I will highly recommend this blog. Um, I don't even know exactly what Scott Logic does as a company, but they have they have a lot of really great posts and they're all like very very technical and well written so um, it's one of my one of the ones that I, I kind of keep an eye on regularly.
0: Uh, Brian, have you tried Docker yet?
1: I have not. No, okay. I it's one of those things. I, I keep it's on my like okay. I need to check this out because like everybody seems to be um, you know talking about it, but I have not. We we do have. Um, and something similar to this, in, you know, using .NET with Docker, uh, an article in the works for TDN should be cool as well.
0: Yeah, I haven't had any experience with Docker either firsthand. I kind of get the gist of it and what it's supposed to do, uh, which I guess makes me an expert, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, you could write an article on it then.
0: Yeah, uh, but I, I was reading through um, Nick's article here and uh it looks like there there's quite a bit of work to get that docker container created and and ready to run an application oh yeah uh, so i mean it it looks pretty involved so it's something that um that looks yeah, like it's, it's it's worth learning to know what's going on under the the covers of that and how to set one up um i guess this kind of dives more into devops land than i'm used to uh, but it still looked really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, and to be fair, I don't even know enough about about Docker and .NET Core to, to know whether this is just the typical Docker type setup, or if this is just because .NET Core on Linux, on um, you know, using Docker is a specifically complex thing to do. Um, but it is a long article, and there are a lot of steps.
0: Yeah, there's uh, another article that I looked up as I was reading um, Nick's article, uh, and I found in a piece by one of our um, developer advocates over in India. His name is Lohith, and he wrote about using uh, ASP.NET Core uh, on Modulus, which Modulus is uh, able to use Docker containers as well. And what I noticed about the two articles is, when he was using Modulus versus trying to spin up his own Docker container, uh, it was a much simpler process. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to link that article in the show notes for this podcast. So if people want to do that same comparison and, and check out how those two things work, um, it, it might be interesting to them as well. I thought it was kind of eye-opening, like, you know, Modulus is abstracted, like all of this command line mm-hmm. interface stuff that you normally need to run to get your your Docker uh, instance up and running. And uh, Loheath was able to do it like a couple clicks on a Modulus uh, UI on the web and get it hosted and running and install everything in hmm. a much simpler fashion. At least it looked that way to me. So uh, it's uh, it's worth checking both of those out. Cool. Um, We're going to round out uh, the ASP.NET stuff with an article that I wrote uh, called Staying Sharp with Razor Tag Helpers. So Razor Tag Helpers is a new feature to ASP.NET Core. And this kind of supplements the uh, Razor uh, HTML helpers. So in ASP.NET Core, or sorry, ASP.NET MVC, you would have these uh, Razor helpers that would be like at HTML and then some kind of uh, HTML you'd like to generate, whether it's a label, a form, something. You'd have this, uh, this kind of syntax that you'd have to write to get the, uh, the simplified uh, syntax anyway to, to output some big chunk of HTML. And these were pretty handy. Um, they're really useful. They they cut down development time uh, on bigger things, like uh, pretty much what Telerik products are, like grids and graphs and charts and all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Razor Tag Helpers is a new way of doing this, and they're written essentially like HTML. So you're not flipping, like, mindset from this... Uh, server side at HTML syntax in the in back and forth between that and HTML, it actually comes out like HTML um, in the editor. So you can just open up an A tag for an anchor and then you can just start decorating it with these uh, server side pieces of rendering that, that need to come uh, and be part of the, the resulting HTML. So you can say, uh, open an anchor tag. ASP label uh, or ASP dot uh, ASP controller, and then it'll it'll be smart enough to use IntelliSense to find out that oh you're trying to use some um, backend uh, language here, and it will give you IntelliSense for C sharp, and then it will also transition into uh, like HTML IntelliSense when you're you're not in that mode. And it's very consistent. It's uh, a lot easier to see than it is to try to explain <laughs> on the radio, right. so to speak. And wait, um, so,
1: and I know you mentioned in the article too for people listening. What's the, what is the key benefit of this approach as opposed to just kind of writing it out? And... Uh,
0: so that was a great question, Brian. So the original uh, Razor syntax doesn't lead you to a very easy way to write uh, parent controls or container controls. So something that has nested elements within it uh, get to be really hokey when you start writing out this at HTML uh, type of syntax. Now with tag helpers, since they're just like HTML, they're attribute and uh, tag-based syntax... Uh, When you're trying to embed controls within each other, it's, you know, just basically like HTML. You open and close braces, and then uh, you can nest things down inside of it. So you can have, you know, a form control with multiple controls inside of it, and those controls can have uh, content of their own. And uh, you don't have this uh, mental block where you're trying to escape in and out of uh, C Sharp and uh, HTML. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're, we're actually going to be releasing some uh, additional Razor helpers for our uh, Telerik UI for ASP.NET MVC soon. So you'll see some more of that stuff coming from us as well.
1: That sounds awesome.
0: Uh, so you want to take us to this next one, Brian?
1: So the next one is by Cody Lindley, and it's 19 Tips to Make Learning Angular 2 Easier. Um, I know that title seems like maybe a bit of a contradiction, since it's, it takes 19 tips. It's not all that much easier, is it?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, it's really it, it, most of these are really just quick things, um, like you know, like the fact that you really need to get good with Git, that you need to you know learn Node and NPM. I mean, so a lot of it is kind of the background knowledge that you really should have before you dive into Angular two. Um, head first you know um, and other things are just some of the concepts and things um, that make using angular 2 easier um, some of the things that angular 2 makes optional but you really should consider using highly you know highly it's highly recommended that you use and so on so he you know he really goes lays into like all of the things you know you should consider knowing and you know i think cody is a type he's, he's he wants to understand everything up front and i think um, but this is kind of thing that you should read you may you don't have to be an expert in all this stuff that he talks about but at least understanding knowing what you may need to know down the road at least helps you today to like when something comes up you know you 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 have kind of that mental um, you know, bookmark there. Okay, well, I I remember reading this, and I should go look. Set some stuff up to to get through whatever issue you may be facing in in trying to adopt Angular two.
0: Yeah, one thing that I really liked about this article is the fact that I don't like to read. <laughs> and, uh, th- this is it's like somebody
1: who writes our lot
0: articles, and so I know, right? So this is like the index to all of the things you need to read. Like this yeah. is like the shorthand too long, didn't read it version where you can go through and say, all right, I, I want to learn Angular 2 and maybe I maybe I already know TypeScript. So rather than read like an entire uh, book on Angular 2 or, you know, getting started guide from start to finish, and encounter some things I already know and have to read through those. Additionally, um, right. I can look at this and just kind of piecemeal out. Well, I didn't know what Webpack is, so let me go read about Webpack. Or you know, you know, Angular two is more than just one script, so I need to go find out what all of its dependencies are and why it needs those. And uh, I, I like the style of article; it gets you engaged a little bit quicker, I think, than uh, some monolithic piece that you're like, yep. oh, this is going to take me five days to read, and then you you know, maybe go to lunch and come back and forget <laughs> that you were going to pick up that book or something.
1: Yeah, it was. It's a good one to bookmark for sure.
0: Yeah, if you're interested in Angular two at all, give that a shot. You can find the article at developer. Com. Uh, just click on the uh, newsletter. Uh, read the current newsletter on the sidebar, and you'll be able to find it in there um, and this this kind of brings us to our next article since we're on the angular topic already uh, we had a another article by Nick Raboy uh, scanning barcodes with the native script in angular 2 so th- I think this dives back to our our theme again of uh, we can actually use this stuff in the real world uh, where the money's made in manufacturing and retail, and you know all those positions that pay good money for developers to create software that earns a bigger company more money. <laughs> so uh, I thought this was another interesting one because I know all of the applications for barcoding are, are really um, out there in in these scenarios like retail, manufacturing, warehousing, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, the nice thing about this article is not only does it show you how to do, I mean, the use case is very specific about barcodes, but if you want something that shows you not only how to get to kind of do some basic work in native script, if you want to learn native script, but also use some uh, plugins and more importantly, how to integrate with something um, in, in this case, like Couchbase as your backend. The, that's that's what I think. The value of this article isn't necessarily the specific use case of barcode scanning. It's kind of bringing a bunch of pieces together to build an app using it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was I, I almost missed that because I was so focused on the cool factor of like being able to scan barcodes. Uh, I know that sounds probably a little geeky, but I mean these are the type of um, simple tutorials that a beginner can use to yeah. really, um, get, get in that like software development role at their office. Uh, you know, you work in a, a small shop that's, um, you know, having some kind of trouble and, you know, you can scan some, some barcodes on something that you're building or some, some kind of product that you're shipping and, uh, cut out, you know, some kind of, um, uh, build time, uh, for the manufacturing floor and stuff like that. Um, you know, the, a lot of time I spent in manufacturing, like I was in this engineering role that had no tie to software, but I was always writing software to make that, that manufacturing process better. So I was, I was kind of, you know, remembering those days where I was just like tinkering with this side project and it's like, oh, this is going to save the company tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> mm. just by, you know, just by putting this simple app together. Um, there's still those big wins out there and uh, this is something I think people could latch on and use for that.
1: For sure. Absolutely. So um, f- sticking with the whole Angular 2 native script are our, our uh, next post is is basically it's another one of our slack chats where we get a lot of people um, and it gives us the opportunity to get a lot of different perspectives in this case it's it's TJ Vantol who's on, our colleague on the team as well as a number of, of native script experts talking about whether you should use angular 2 in your native script and yes. um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of back and forth about it. Um, I think that you know, if I were to give you the consensus, it seems to be yes, you probably should, um, but but there's there's a lot of caveats to that and a lot of details that they discuss.
0: Yeah, there there's a lot of decisions that you need to walk through uh, to justify bringing in. Uh, something that, you know, a dependency like Angular 2 on a project, whether it's native script or whether it's uh, web. Um, so there, there's a lot of good back and forth in the article or the Slack chat, rather, that I think uh, we can't justify talking about each and every one of those, you know, bits yeah. out here on the podcast. So it's best if you go uh, to developer.teller.com uh, and check out that uh if you're really interested in learning why or why not to uh, use Angular 2 uh, in, yeah. in script, and, and you could probably apply some of the same logic to the web as well.
1: Absolutely. And that, that's one of the things they touched upon. I mean, in fact, that's kind of one of the key points is if you're going to do Angular 2 and if you have any interest in trying to share code across your native app in your web app, then you have to you have to go the angular route. Otherwise it gets much more difficult to do. Right? Yeah. So so if you're already kind of heading that angular route, there's no reason not to. If you're not, then it's it's just the tricky part is the learning curve of not only trying to learn native script and Angular and perhaps TypeScript, you know, adds a lot of barriers to getting started that you maybe can just jump straight through and try writing a native script app in plain JavaScript without some of those, in, in, in you know, blocking your way up front.
0: Absolutely. I think that was a really good summary, Brian. Oh, thanks. You, I think you nailed it there. <laughs> uh, so last up, we have an um, uh, interesting read. Uh, this, you know, well, I guess we'll weigh in with our opinions on this one in a second. It's three new programming languages and what their creators say. So this is a is a piece by InfoWorld uh, yep. written by Paul Krill. Um so I was kind of saying it was interesting at the beginning because it's like, um, do do we really need more programming languages? I'm sure that's been said a million times.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and obviously each, each of the creators has their reasons for, you know, justifying why they created this um, particular language, you know, because, because, uh, you know, we wanted this particular type of solution based on this other language and so you know, things like I, to me, you know, and it it depends on the, the developer, right? Like a lot of these things feel small you know, like, like, I don't know that they're, they justify learning a whole new language at the same time, you know, I don't have any problem with people creating these things. I think that's part of how, you know, if they're driven to do that as part of how we get to wherever we're going, um, you know, I, I don't anticipate that most of them are going to have widespread adoption, but I don't think that they do any real harm, um, by having so many of these out there,
0: yeah, I think I agree with the point that they're they're not doing any harm by creating these new languages. In fact, I would say that they're probably doing a lot of good by uh, even if the language doesn't get picked up and go mainstream. There's experimentation being done at you know these micro levels where a larger uh, language like Python. Uh, which is what one of these is based on, uh, yeah. can't like implement, you know, sweeping changes. You're going to break a bunch of stuff, but this little, you know, um, new upstart language can try new things out and it may or may not, you know, live and, or it may die off, but some of the ideas may actually make their way into other languages. And Absolutely. Become an important part. So it's a good prototyping ground for new ideas.
1: Yeah, and I would argue. I know it, seem, it may seem paradoxical, but I'd argue I'm more in favor of this kind of thing, like a new language that just, you know, can can be experimental like that. Versus, I sometimes I'll often be on the on the side of like not over like kind of reinventing the wheel in terms of tools um, for developers, right? Like, so it may seem somewhat paradoxical, but I think sometimes we, you know. When you get into very, you know, uh, specific solutions, I think, for instance, the JavaScript community has too many tools that all seem to solve the same problem, um, and, and some I think for a lot of developers that can create a problem. But I don't, I don't see these as because it's not the type of thing where you're being overwhelmed with like, oh, you should really go learn, um, coconut, right? I mean. You know, everybody's doing coconut kind of thing, and I think you're not getting bombarded with these new languages. Whereas a lot of these other tools um, kind of overwhelm developers with too many choices. Um, and, and so, I know it kind of seems contradictory, but I end up on two sides on the, of this issue depending on the type of thing we're talking about, whether it be a language or um, a tool.
0: JavaScript has too many frameworks and tools said no one ever come on (laughs) you're just a hater yeah (laughs) i am clearly i i i think it's um a game that we're gonna have to do again um i kind of did this on twitter one day uh but there there's a game that i i kind of invented called uh javascript framework or, or sorry it was npm package or urban dictionary term Oh yeah, yeah. that's
1: right. I saw that. That was fun.
0: We need to do that in a in a bigger way somehow. Like maybe this needs to be like a conference, like session or something where, or, or like yeah, know, like a contest prizes or something like that. Maybe that's <laughs> the um, like the ending ceremony. Like this is how you win some prizes type of thing. But uh, the gist of it is, uh, go to npm, randomly pick like a, a half dozen or two dozen. Um, NPM package names and put those in like a spreadsheet or database of some kind and then you pick a couple urban dictionary terms, be careful <laughs> <laughs> be very careful when you do this and then uh, kind of take a sample of three NPM packages and mix in one urban dictionary term and see how many people can guess which are which
1: <laughs> yep, I think, I think I saw some of the ones you posted I, I didn't get them all
0: right yeah i i didn't get them all right even making them up because what i didn't do is cross re- cross-reference um terms that were both urban dictionary <laughs> and npm packages and i got a couple like false positives in there but uh some, something we need to do again it was a lot of fun maybe we'll make it part of the show somehow
1: yeah that sounds like fun
0: All right, Brian, I'm going to wrap it up, man. Uh, I appreciate your help. I know time for both of us lately has been extremely valuable. So it was great to uh, sit down and talk to you again and do another one of these Developer Digest shows.
1: Absolutely. Great chat, man. All
0: right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye bye.